welcome, welcome, welcome to the working that is Chrononaut Chronicles. Gotta get that S in there. The last few times I've been editing, cannot hear the, uh, the plural part. So this is Chrononaut Chronicles. Uh, my name is Bill, and I will be your guide on this particular Sonic adventure. The show is, of course, sponsored by mysticalwares.com. Uh, Derek, uh, that's Derek Condit's uh, metaphysical supply shop. Uh, he will not be joining us today, but I do have Adam with me. I uh, will hear from him in just a minute. Howdy. <laughs> and so what is it exactly that we do here at uh, Chrononaut Chronicles? Well, this being a working, there are, are always, you know, steps to a working. There's different stages. And there's four stages to this particular working, which we've made into the, the show segment. We've got uh, the Almanac segment, the Gratitude segment, Silver segment, and then lastly, the Sword segment. The Almanac segment is a uh, tool to help us expand our awareness, just to see what else is going on uh, planetarily, and if there's any uh, energies that we want to work with and capitalize on in the upcoming week. Uh, the second step is the gratitude segment. Uh, this being a working uh, love is a very key ingredient. So uh, the purpose behind the gratitude segment is to uh, connect our hearts and our minds, uh, not only uh, once a week here on the show, but to kind of stretch this into infinity. So uh, this is just a brief exercise where we share something that we are grateful for, right? Which brings us to the silver segment, and the idea behind this is simply expansion. We look for, uh, we learn for something, <laughs> we learn something new uh, every every week. Here we try to uh, highlight uh, different things. Uh, for instance, uh, this week instead of doing headlines, I thought that we would do a profile in wizardry, is what I'm calling it anyway. Uh, but I thought we would take a look at the uh, life of Joseph McMonagall, who has done uh, extensive remote viewing work. So, Adam, are you familiar with with Joe? You kidding me? I love Joseph McMonagall. He is absolutely amazing. I know I've mentioned him on the show before. And, yeah, to hop into that wizardry world, you know, uh, uh, he was named or, you know, used as the reference name for uh, the teacher McMonagall in Harry Potter. Okay. That's and it makes sense, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is a this little a class on on uh, Joe McMonagall is actually brought to you by uh, Azazel News. So I'll just be scrolling through a little class that he called uh, has put together. Uh, this is one of many. So we'll be revisiting this um, motif kind of profiles in wizardry. Uh, theme going forward uh, every now and again right so so that's the silver segment for this this episode which is about expansion right and then the sword segment deals in matters involving uh, spirit and dimensions metaphysics timelines consciousness and transformation transformation in regards to uh, how we can use our thoughts most efficiently and effectively and these are these are expressions of our consciousness. Therefore, uh, thinking intentionally can navigate us towards uh, fulfillment of what uh, what we're seeking for, right? 
So that being said, this week on the Almanac, not a whole lot happening. Uh, Thursday, we have the Moon and Venus that will be conjunct. Saturday is Veterans Day. And I know that uh, this isn't this coming week, uh, but we're coming up on a new moon uh, on, on next Monday, I believe. And I will be traveling. So this will be our last show for at least a couple of weeks. So, fair warning. And speaking of traveling, this brings us to the gratitude segment. We've had a little bit of a warm streak up here in Michigan. And uh, I'm thankful for that because it allows me to keep up with the leaf raking. Now, living in a forest is, is challenging in the fall, especially when you don't really, I don't, I don't have leaf blower, right? So do everything by hand and that's okay. It's a good workout, right? So uh, thankful, thankful for the, the warm weather. And I will be traveling south, so going to South Carolina, actually, for a week. And uh, that's going to be warmer down there, too. Might actually get to do some camping along the way. Uh, we'll see. Haven't quite figured it out. But, uh, yeah, thankful for the last little bit of warm uh, streak that Mother Nature has, has thrown our way so far for the end of this year. So, Adam, uh, thanks for being here. And what are you grateful for? Uh, you know... I'm grateful for, it's something very simple. It's something I love, tattoos. Angie and I have been watching again uh, Ink Masters, the TV show. Got a uh, Paramount subscription. And yeah, it's just been a lot of fun. And uh, it's got me thinking that I'm probably going to bust out my tattoo machine here in the near future and uh, get to working on myself again. And you've, so you've done yeah. that in the past? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I bought a tattoo machine maybe a year and a half ago, and gave myself a tattoo. Oh, did you practice on an orange first? Is that what you're supposed no, to? No, um, I pra I practiced on uh, silicone skin, fake skin. Oh, like ballistic skin? Uh, no, not like ballistic gel. You can just buy skin from like tattoo websites. Uh, it's not it's not super realistic to a human, but it gives you a good idea before you go and uh, drop that needle in for the first time. Okay. So what did you, uh, what did you, I can't tell you it's, it's going to be re, uh, revealed on a, on a, uh, yet undetermined, uh, record date for a future podcast on, uh, cat in the box. Okay. Is it uh, going to be a target for, it is, Austin's it is in fact, that's awesome. I'm going to, yeah, keep me informed then please. And then, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll let you know, and if I get anything else new, I'll let you. Uh, I'll send you some pictures. Yeah. Um. So those those of you that don't know, Adam actually has a separate podcast about remote viewing, which just so happens to be our topic of of discussion in the silver segment, which we're getting to pretty quickly. Uh, this this episode, and this is kind of a multimedia presentation. So I'll be sharing some sound clips from the sean ryan podcast oh i love sean ryan yeah so it's kind of cool he, he provides these raw shorts that anybody can use in their own productions right just as long as you give him credit so we're, we're doing that here but uh, did you catch the sean webb interviews that no day? it's in my list of about three or four other remote uh viewing related podcasts or shows that i just haven't watched because i've been saving them up in preparation and i should just listen to it so 
no, but it's 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 saved like twice in my list. I think in my podcast player and on my YouTube uh, app. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a good episode. Everybody should go check them out to learn a little bit more about uh, remote viewing in, in general and about the Monroe Institute, which has actually been uh, a name thrown around on thirteen questions uh, before. I don't know if we've talked about it on this show, but uh, we actually got to interview Dr. Tom Campbell, who knew Robert Monroe, who was the founder of the Monroe Institute. So that that's a, that's also a very cool interview. You should go and find that and listen to it. If you haven't yet, I would highly recommend that. Absolutely. And huge crossovers into lucid dreaming as well. There's, there's a big tie-in between remote viewing and that type of thinking. And Monroe Institute, absolutely, that's like... If you're interested in uh, lucid dreaming, check them out. Absolutely. We got some uh, Tom Campbell actually remastered the binaural beats that, or not remaster, I guess he did remaster them, but uh, updated the, the, the binaural beats that is uh, part of the protocol that Monroe Institute uses to kind of teach this, this method. Uh, and they're available for download through Tom's website last time I checked. I, I downloaded them a while ago. Uh, I think, I don't know, it was like $30 maybe, and you get uh, like 14 tracks or something. So well worth it. I played around with it a little bit. Um, I did some listening the other day. But uh, <laughs> funny. And anybody that's going to get into binaural beats, make sure you have a good quality headset um, you need to make sure that you're able to produce those really deep low tones and those high pitch tones so that you can have that interference wave. You actually have to have the headphones producing it. So uh, not all consumer headphones, a lot of cheaper headphones and speakers are just incapable of doing it. Um, so definitely check out the specs on your headphones. Uh, Bill and I are both using monitor headphones, which are phenomenal uh, for that. They sound uh, binaural beats. You can actually, I mean, it's amazing when you, you know, you've got two frequencies coming in and pulsating, you know, binaurally, right, to both sides. And then there is a third wave that you perceive and hear and feel in the center of your being. And it is it is so amazing for being able to use to set yourself into just a, not a blank mind state, but like a meditative state, a concentrative state. Yeah, super interesting. Um, try to get into that hypnagogic state a little bit as well and see see what kind of weird little dream snippets you get. That's kind of what happens with me uh, usually. But uh, I don't know, I was trying a little bit to do to uh, practice that this past week. And living in the forest, we're surrounded by woodpeckers. They like to attack our house. So I, I got kind of got interrupted by several woodpeckers on 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 my sighting i had to go chase them off and you can hear them knocking through the walls it's extremely obnoxious but kind of kind of distracting when you're trying to listen to beats i guess that's what i'm saying but uh yeah um anywho joe mcgonagall let's see uh, like i said before this is a class so-called class that i found on zazel which is a telegram news uh, channel chat 
whatever you want to call it. And uh, he's he. Uh, I've talked about the the um, lens or classification system, which is uh, used in this channel to to view world events through. And there's four factions, um, them being the the gold faction, the blue, the green, and the red. And the gold, blue, and, and green factions are are kind of uh, they work together. And the red faction is is more nefarious, right? So, um, kind of a concept that has been around for uh, longer than than I've come to uh, to find out, right? Then upon you know since stumbling upon this information, but uh, so uh, gold wizard of the day is Joe McGonagall. Maybe I can uh, share my screen. So you can see what this looks like. Um, let's make this multimedia, by the way. I gotta stretch this out. There we go. Yeah, McMonagle is an amazing human being with what he does, has done remote viewing. Um, yeah, and he's the one that I think I had pre I previously mentioned uh, talked about remote viewing Jesus and his experiences with that. And it is mind blowing from a um, perspective of. A, a possible structure of the universe. Yeah. Yeah, so I shared my screen here. Um, you can see all the other chats I'm in to the left. Maybe close that down. Um, so this is what the, this is what Telegram feed looks like. We've got a picture of Joe McGonagall here. He starts out with Joseph McGonagall is a retired U.S. Army Chief Warrant Officer. He was involved in remote viewing operations and experiments conducted by U.S. Army Intelligence and the Stanford Research Institute. Uh, side note, we also got to interview Dean Radin, who works, worked for Stanford Research Institute on 13 Questions. So just another uh, drop there to go check out that interview on 13 questions dean is a super interesting dude um doesn't really seem like he takes a lot of interviews uh so yeah kind of a kind of a rare treat there yeah and an amazing scientist because he looks at what we would call magic and then does scientific experiments to validate and actually look into them uh and it's fascinating simple things like him talking about just like blessing food it's like, hey, you know, you don't need to be religious or not, but if you wanted to impact humanity right now, they've done studies where if you do prayer and pray and have a rabbi pray for uh, a plant, a plant's food, it has a higher uptake of nutrition. So it actually absorbs more of the good stuff in the food just with prayer. So he's like, hey, if you really want to help people get healthy, just pray for their food. And it's like that is a scientific thing as you can get, and you can get religious all you want about it, but when the data backs it up, those are the things that really, you know, um, sadden me that science doesn't look at. Or I should say science does because clearly he's doing it. But right. um, people generally don't accept it. And look, you know, if 75% of us don't believe in something, it's just, it's not, we move as a species. Yeah, but I mean, it's super exciting at the same time because anybody, like anybody can do this, right? So it's so accessible and 
you know, within the reach of. And you're probably already doing it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we are. The beautiful thing is when you take remote viewing, it's a set of tools to get you thinking in a certain way. You have the latent ability. It's just laying your mind in a certain way, like setting up a bench or setting up a tool to make something in a specific way so that you get the outcome that you want. And at the end of the day, it's clearing your mind, focusing on a point, can be a target, could be a location, can be a place in time, can be the intent of what you're looking for. There are detectives that do remote viewing where they show up, they call it blink remote viewing, is they'll show up at like a crime scene and they'll look around and they'll tell themselves to that um, when I see something that I need to see, something that's important, I'll blink, right? So they're setting the target in their mind to be looking for something to find when they look at it. And that's remote viewing because your information is the target of what you're looking for. You don't know what it is, but you know what you want to get. So it's kind of like, I don't know what's in the envelope, but I know the letters on the outside. I know this is important and then I can go forward. So it takes very, uh, so many forms, but you know, for sure you're doing it and it has ties to every other paranormal thing, whether it's, you know, precognition, um, you know, you think somebody's calling you ahead of time. Well, guess what? You know, uh, it's just your mind was laid out in a different way to get a different paranormal effect. Sorry to ramble. No, no, yeah. I mean, side note, uh, no, the, I mean, there's no use of any uh, psychotropic substances in order to do this. You literally just need to sit down and quiet yourself. And mm-hmm. the beats help, right? But uh, not necessary. The idea is to clear your mind and not add any overlay because you're looking at pure information coming through whatever it is the problem is um you know i've had examples where you know i'm describing it's like no it's like a plastic bag it's over the water it's like a plastic bag i keep just seeing a plastic bag so i'm describing a plastic bag and you know um and it turns out it's a hot air balloon over the water it's like completely missed the mark completely missed the mark because i allowed my own analytical overlay I got the information coming in of what it was like, and I imposed my own personal views on what that structure should be, and therefore it became a plastic bag. But really, it had all the hallmarks of the shape, the structure, the way it would move, um, and that's really the trick. And then, you know, you have some people like McGonagall or um, uh, Pat Price or an Ingo Swan who can get to the point where you know, they're telling you the names of file drawers and the images that are in the drawers, um, you know, giving you basically blueprint layouts of structures and buildings. Um, it can get pretty wild and amazing. There, there, there's a reason why the, the U.S. government, you know, uh, had that program, uh, Project Stargate, officially running for 20 years and has almost certainly kept it running in other continuations because... There's no secrets you can't hide. And according to remote viewers, when you try to hide a secret, it shines in the dark. Like if you're in a light, a dark room, if you're trying to hide something, it like puts a light on it. So they're even more able to find the secrets. And if you really think about a, like a truly skilled remote viewer that could go in and see everything and have high degrees of accuracy, that's the most dangerous thing in the world. Can be. Can be. Depends on what you're using it for. But well, I, well, I say that from imagine you're uh, the U.S. government. Right. If you're not on my team, then that's threat number one. You can have all of my secrets, and there's no way I can stop you. There's no way I can detect you. 
Yeah, I mean, the whole reason we started doing the by we we the government started looking into this phenomena only because the Russians were doing it, and so you know we we had to figure out what was going on as well. So that's to your point, and, and to uh, Stargate. Uh, speaking of uh, Joe Joe uh, Joseph McMonagle, original Mon member. Yep, was the first pers first personnel recruited for the classified program known as Project or Stargate Project. From it ran from 1978 to 1995. So, yeah, they started uh, checking their own troops and own personnel and running all these different people through it. I think he was a landmine uh, technician or something beforehand. Um, he was a pretty pretty awesome dude for for his military service. But he had it's not like he was a psychic, and that's the beautiful thing about remote viewing. Um, almost every single experience I've had with somebody new to it. Um, they succeed. They have a degree of success that is provable to at least them uh, that there's there's something really interesting that they tapped into. And I think that's how most people are. And uh, it's not something that you can predict. It's something that uh, some people have and some people don't. There's not very many good predictors on what's going to make you a good remote viewer. Along with colleague Ingo Swan, McMonagall is best known for claims surrounding the investigation of RV and the use of paranormal abilities for military intelligence gathering. His interests also include near-death experiences, out-of-body travel, and unidentified flying objects. McMonagall describes a remarkable memory of very early childhood events. He grew up surrounded by alcoholism, abuse, and poverty. As a child, he had visions at night and when scared and began when when he was scared he had visions and began to hone his psychic abilities in his teens for his own protection when he hitchhiked he enlisted in the army in 1964 at the age of 18 uh, to get away from the family turmoil McMonagall subsequently became an experimental remote viewer while serving in US army intelligence McMonagall's early career was an NCO non-commissioned officer, and he retired after 20 years as a chief warrant officer. He was severely injured in a helicopter accident in Vietnam. He was involved in intelligence work for 15 years. From 1978, he was known as remote viewer number one at Project Stargate, the U.S. Army's Psychic Intelligence Unit at Fort Meade, Maryland. At his retirement, McMonagall earned his Legion of Merit for his last 10 years of service, including five years of work at Signet Signals Intelligence, and five years in the RV program. He retired from the Army in 1984, but continued work as a consultant at Stargate until 1993. In 1995, funding for Project Stargate was terminated, and the unit was decommissioned after the official finding that no discernible benefit had been established. McMonagall became a speaker at the Monroe Institute, where he had previously been sent as part of his RV training. McMonagall then ran an RV business aimed at corporate world, at the corporate world called Intuitive Intelligence Applications Inc. His services included that he can help a wildcatter find an oil well or a quarry operator know where to mine. According to McMonagall, remote viewing is possible 
and accurate outside the boundaries of time. He believes he has remote viewed into the past, present, and future, and has predicted future events. Among the subjects he claims to have remote viewed are a Chinese nuclear facility, the Iranian hostage crisis, the Red Brigades, and Muammar Gaddafi. He writes that he predicted the location and existence of the Soviet Typhoon-class submarine in 1979, that in mid-January 1980, satellite photos confirmed those predictions. Yep, that was a huge one for him, because they told him he was wrong, because it was of proportions that you know weren't known, and he gave a, uh, a very good description of the, uh, the size and structure of the vessels and where they were located at. And I think he even detailed of when they were going to be launching. Yeah. Yeah, that, that submarine was the submarine that is featured in the movie Hunt for Red October. So that was the the Red October submarine that he was remote viewing. And in order, this thing was so big, in order to get this thing out from the place that they were building it, the you know, in preparation for launching it into the ocean, they built a canal specifically for, you know, you know from the water, body water up to the military base to to launch this thing and none of that had uh, had showed up on previous you know satellite photos up until the time you know it was that time to do it and then they saw it right it was kind of kind of crazy anyway McMonagle says the military remote viewing program was ended partly due to stigma everybody wanted to use it but nobody wanted to be caught dead standing next to it there's an automatic ridicule factor. Oh yeah, psychics. Anybody associated with it could kiss their career goodbye. Supporters of his claims include Charles Tark. Don't really know who Charles Tark is. Are you familiar with Charles Tark? No, not offhand. I have to look into that. According to author Paul H. Smith, McMonagall predicted several months into the future, and McMonagall's own accounts provide differing claims of accuracy of his remote viewing, varying from 5 to 95% to between 65 and 75%. McMonagall claims that remote viewing is not always accurate, but that it was able to locate hostages and downed planes. Of other psychics, of other psychics he says that 98% of the people are kooks. McMonagall's future predictions include the passing of a teenager's right-to-work bill, a new religion without the emphasis of Christianity, a science of the soul, a vaccine for AIDS, a movement to eliminate television, and a temporary tattoo craze that would replace the wearing of clothing, all of which were supposedly to take place between 2002 and 2006. He reports that he worked with Dean Radin at the Consciousness Research Laboratory, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, to seek uh, to seek patentable ideas via remote viewing for a future machine, quote unquote, Radin conceived. McMonagall also says he has worked on missing person cases in Washington, San Francisco, New York, and Chicago, as well as employing remote viewing as a time machine to make various observations, such as the origin of the human species. According to McMonagall, humans 
came from creatures somewhat like sea otters rather than primates and were created in a laboratory by creators who seeded the earth and then departed. McMonagle was featured on a National Geographic Channel episode of Naked Science, along with parapsychologist Edwin C. May, who tested McMonagle's ability to remote view six locations in the San Francisco Bay Area with mixed results. In 1994, McMonagle appeared on an ABC network television special put to the test, also with Edwin May, who said that about 20% of what Joe does is as close to spectacular as I can possibly wish. Scientists don't like to use the term miracle very often, but this is as close to one as you can imagine. According to Dean Radin, the best psychic averages about 3 in 10, like the best baseball hitters. 300. The rest of us bet about 1 or 2 in 10. According to paranormal researcher Brian Dunning, the only thing I found impressive about McMonagall's demonstration was their editing and narration jobs to make it look like the most amazing and miraculous psychic feats in history. The show took a 15-minute test and edited it down to two minutes, leaving only what the producers felt were the best hits. After McMonagall's vague pronouncements of a metallic sound, a pedestrian bridge, something tall that is not a building, a river or running water, something with a stripe on it, and perpendicular lines. In 1995, McMonagall defended the Stargate program in an interview for the Washington Post. McMonagall co-wrote an episode of the psychic science fiction show, The Dead Zone. In the episode, remote viewing was used in the hunt for Osama bin Laden. USA Network, which aired The Dead Zone, canceled the episode's initially scheduled broadcast because of concern about the subject matter, but did air the program a few months later, after the series returned from a mid-season hiatus. In 2002, McMonagall started receiving regular coverage on Nippon Television's primetime, um, can't pronounce that show, uh, it's roughly translated to FBI Psychic Investigator, which, uh, during which he performed remote viewings related to unsolved police cases. In 2004, John Ronson's Crazy Rulers of the World documentary, episode three, The Psychic Foot Soldiers, McMonagall was interviewed and vividly described his teaching or er, his technique for traveling out of body to communist China to remotely view a trigger mechanism in a military nuclear weapons laboratory. And then just for uh, further edification, uh, as Azel provide some links to various other uh, sources. Uh, the first one here is Wikipedia, uh, so nothing crazy crazy there, um, but uh, there is a uh, news article from March 13th, 2000, oh wait, I get that date right, uh, I'm sorry, from January 19th, 2003 in uh, U.S. News, 
and World Report uh, entitled Enemies in the Mind's Eye. For more than 20 years, the CIA funded psychic experiments. So I'll put these uh, links in the show notes. I know that usually I say if anybody wants to find source links to go on over to the Chrononet Chronicles Telegram page, but since this is a more of a, a class, you know, for education purposes, I want to make these as accessible as possible. Make it into the feed forever. It'll outlast Telegram. Yeah. Yeah. One interesting thing to note, too, because, you know, there's there's uh, always a lot of uh, uh, stress on the public side of the remote viewing, meaning, all right, so we did a 15-minute, you know, uh, remote viewing, and he is the best, uh, but he only did one, and he only did it for 15 minutes. And this is something that uh, when he talks about setting up a team, uh, there's places where you have 100 or more people that are remote viewing a target and the remote remote viewing it multiple times, 5, 10, 15 times over an extended period of time, uh, the same target over and over again, and then comparing their results afterwards. And part of it, too, is uh, you have you can even have people that are reviewing it who are even less biased than you on your own results so that when they see the information. Um, but anyways, the point is that uh, the best person, like he said, um, is only like right like 30, 60 percent of the time. You have to have validation on what you're doing. And, you know, obviously the time, the day, the situation. I know McMonagall, he does short sessions, but I know he does hour long or more sessions and has um, on different things. And then what's really interesting is some of those sessions turn into almost trance like sessions with people where they don't remember everything about their experience when they're conveying it to somebody. Because very often you do do it on your own and you write out the stuff on your own. But um, at the Monroe Institute, they were doing things because I've read some stuff with McMonagall and Monroe um, in which you would have somebody guide you through the remote viewing session, almost in the way you would do like kind of like a hypnosis, hypnosis session. Yeah, that's kind of, nobody knows what the target is, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's I mean, that's kind of what happened uh when they had uh Joe remote view Mars in in nineteen eighty four. And that's one of the, the links that uh Azazel provides. It's for, to uh, slate dot com. There's a story there. Are you familiar with this specific uh viewing, Adam? Uh probably. Probably I've read uh, a bunch of stuff on McMonagall. I think I've come um, across Mars. My favorite of his is his remote viewing of uh, Jesus Christ. I don't know that I uh, explored that one yet, um, but I don't. I think I may have mentioned this Mars one uh, before on the show. Um, not thirteen questions. I don't know why it's familiar to me. Maybe I've just read it before, and this is the first time I'm sharing it. That's why it's familiar. familiar to me, but it might also be in my my brain's databank. Right. Uh, so this is just interesting because it's Mars, right? So let's kind of explore this article real quickly. And I, I won't read the, the whole. Well, oh, all right. It's not that long. Um, so, yeah, just a little uh, tangent here. Um, this is from Slate. And uh, looking for a date here, it's March 20th to 2017, it says by any ordinary standard, successfully sending humans to Mars would be an astonishing triumph, a world historical feat for the nation, 
or corporation that manages to pull it off. Uh, talk to the right people, though, and you might be surprised to learn that more than 30 years ago, the U.S. military accomplished just that. You'll find the evidence in a document freely available on the public reading room section of the Central Intelligence Agency's website, which I have a link to. Uh, contextual details are scarce in the document, which goes under the unassuming, unassuming title Mars Exploration May 22, 1984. A brief explanatory note indicates that the subject was given a sealed envelope immediately prior to the interview, but was instructed not to open it yet. During the interview itself, the subject only had verbal access to selected geographic coordinates provided by the parties requesting the information. So that the subject is Joe McGonagall. If you haven't put that together, it's fine. Anyway, uh, after this introduction, you'll find a seemingly unedited transcript of the interview, a dialogue that reads like some fragments of a lost Samuel Beckett play. You need not crawl through the full seven pages of dialogue to get a sense of its strangeness. Here's a representative sample from the start. All ellipses in the following are original to the document and seem to indicate long pauses. Subject. I'm seeing uh, it's like a perception of a shadow of people. Very tall, thin. It's only a shadow. It's as if they were there and they're not not there anymore. Monitor. Go back to a period of time where they are there. Subject. Um, it's like I get a lot of static on a line and everything. It's breaking up all the time. Very fragmentary pieces. Monitor. Just report the data. Don't try to put things together. Just report the raw data. Subject. I just keep seeing very large people. They appear thin and tall, but they're very large, uh, wearing some kind of strange clothes. In what follows, the conversation jumps around rapidly as the monitor directs the subject to investigate different coordinates, providing no other information. As the subject does, he describes some of the sites of interest that he notices, including a large obelisk that reminds him of the Washington Monument, rounded bottom carved channels like roadbeds and most strikingly pyramids like shelters from storm in those structures he finds the shadowy people he had seen before hibernating they're an ancient people he tells the monitor they're uh they're dying it's past their time or age the three by inch card in the sealed envelope which remember supposedly went unseen until all these visions had faded provides some clues as to what the subject was witnessing like the dateline of some lsd soaked cartoon it read the planet mars time of interest approximately one million years bc this in other words a purportedly real record of some real intelligence services attempt to visit another world through astral projection while examining its distant past. The transcript appeared on the CIA site as part of a large dump of documents related to the US government's experimentation of uh, with paranormal phenomena, subjects that have been variously attributed with helping resolve the Iran hostage crisis and simply 
deride for wasting taxpayer money. As I soon learned, this particular document was a product of the Stargates, sometimes spelled as one word, sometimes two, program, an initiative made most famous by Ron Johnson's book, The Men Who Stare at Goats. According to an explanatory document about the Stargates, available on CIA's websites, the program sought to cultivate psychoenergetics, which it defines as a mental process by which an individual perceives, communicates with, and or perturbs characteristics of a designated target, person, or remote, remote or events, remote in space and or time from that individual. In particular, Stargate focused on remote viewing, which involved using the mind alone to see things that aren't immediately present. The document proposes that remote viewing is inherent, inherent to every human to some degree and probably a vestigial form of self-preservation. Though it's easy to mock such propositions, it's clear enough why an intelligence service might entertain the possibility, or at least the hope, that they are real. Despite its name, Stargate, which began in 1978 and ran until the mid-90s, mostly focused on terrestrial targets, attempting to acquire actionable intelligence about everything from missing persons to foreign weapon sites. There was, as the initiative's most ardent defenders would put it, no known defense against a remote viewer's inquiries. Even the most secure, even the most secure facilities were theoretically vulnerable to psychic scrying. An official 1995 report on the project concluded that its operational efficacy was minimal since remote viewing reports failed to produce the concrete specific information valued in intelligence gathering. Even against this backdrop, the Mars exploration document feels anomalous. Though Stargate included science and technology information, among its categories of taskings, the program seems to have been more broadly directed at generating actionable intelligence on topics such as imminent hostilities and penetration of inaccessible targets. Its key proponents were also committed to something like the scientific method, insisting on double-blind testing conditions and avoiding kookier claims where possible. One of the, uh, one of the program's most notable hits came in 1979 when a viewer perceived a massive Soviet submarine, the existence of which was supposedly later confirmed by satellite imagery. As uh, uh, Jim Popkin writes in a recent Newsweek story about Stargate. Longer than I thought. <laughs> hey, I'm all in on this. You know that I uh, I just sent you a book by Joseph McMonagall called The Ultimate Time Machine. It's a really good read, um, but that is where I got the information on uh, uh, Joseph McMonagall and Jesus Christ. It's why I picked up the book. Oh, okay. I'll put that in my reading list. So, needless to say, this is a uh, something that uh, the government has in the past taken very seriously. Um, we're going to move on from that Slate article just in the interest of time. Uh, there is another, uh, there's a YouTube link 
for a certain bill, it's being taken seriously. Yeah. There's a magazine that is called Eight Martinis. Highly recommend if anybody's looking at it. Uh, it comes out a, a few times a year, and it's on remote viewing. And you can get it like for free in PDF form online. But Ingo Swan termed that uh, that phrase of what eight martinis actually actually means. And this is uh, the quote from Ingo. Well, this is an intelligence community in-house term from remote viewing data so good that it cracks everyone's realities. They have to go out and drink eight martinis to recover. And he was specifically referring to, um, I forget the guy's rank, but a military personnel who was, his charge was to come on the base, observe the program, and, um, you know, see if it was going to continue to get funding. The same program that got continually funded up, you know, through 20 years. Along that line, this guy comes in. They say, you know what? You do it. He had such amazing success that it blew his mind. And he went out and had eight martinis, coining the frame phrase forever. So, um, that's cool. It's still going on. Yeah. You know? You kill the programs, you kill the funding, you kill the money. Something so good in the back ends that the intelligence community knows is working is still going to be in some room somewhere. And guess what? I've done it. So what does that make me? You know, millions of people have. And billions of people have done it without even knowing. Yeah. Yeah, so just some more source uh, material provided by Zazel. There's a, a YouTube video clip about the Mars viewing uh, provided. But then let's take a look at this uh, document from the CIA reading room. Like this has uh, been declassified. It's just kind of neat to to look at. You've got approved for release eight eight two thousand secret no farm Stargate. I don't know what these acronyms are, but you can see Project Stargate here. They've got an overview. And the first thing that they, so that it's kind of like a table of contents, right? Purpose, mission, definitions, management, personnel participation, benefits, primary methodologies, secondary methodologies, categories of taskings, types of targets, operations methodology, and they have the summary. So uh, the purpose is to provide an overview of to remote viewing, focusing on definitions, operations, management, participation, benefits, primary and secondary methodologies, categories of taskings, types of targets, and operational methodology. I just said all that. So the next part was uh, is the mission. It's kind of their mission statement, I guess, to provide feedback resulting from customer taskings in support of analytical or operational requirements. And some definitions that they outline, psychoenergetics, according to the CIA, is a mental process by which an individual perceives, communicates with, and or perturbs characteristics of a designated target, person, or event remote in space and or time from that individual. It's interesting that perturbs, like what are they, are they insinuating that we can like uh, move a cup or something if we remote view a room with a cup in it like i don't i don't know what they mean by that right some other definitions uh, psychokinesis physical actions performed by mental powers that cannot be explained by known physical means they made fun of this in the movie men who stare at goats 
but there has been uh, research that was done in uh, Russian places where people, where they were trying to do things like stop a person's heart through remote viewing. And it gets tricky because it goes into lucid dreaming. And lucid dreaming is so close because, you know, McMonagall and Ingo Swan uh, were very out of body in being able to go to the place and look around. And you really got to wonder, like, how, like, maybe, maybe, maybe there is some slight telekinetics. In fact, I would argue because uh, I, it was Harvard or Stanford, one of these uh, universities did this experiment where they had thousands of steel balls falling constantly and they had like 100 slots at the bottom and a bunch of pegs kind of like plinko and all it did is record how many balls landed in how many slots um over and over and over and over and over again to get massive amounts of statistics running 24 7 then you sit a person down and try to have them change it and statistically you get variations either positive or negative so like a placebo nocebo type of effect where there is a physical change it's not like they all go to the left they're all in the center it's not you know like this magneto type of superpower but there is a statistical correlation so it makes sense it would be in here yeah yeah the uh even though the numbers like when you're looking at stats like even though the, the percentages or the numbers might be like very small or or you know there's not uh that much space in between you know this category this this category mm -hmm. uh, even though they're you know they can be it seems insignificant like it's actually you know freaking uh, big difference right well and here's how you can make it significant i know i've given this example before but to me it it's really where it proves the power of like pulling information from the future okay you can only be 60 percent of the time time right even if you're only 20 or 30 percent of the time right you're really skilled now let's see you have 100 people that are doing it and you're looking to make a lot of money in the future. So I go, okay, I'm going to be betting against the price of silver in, in six months from now. And I'm all I'm going to try to determine is whether six months on this specific date, if silver has gone up or if it has gone down, not by specific numbers or anything. One of the unique things that's interesting about remote viewing, most remote viewers can't pull through like looking at a newspaper and read the headlines. It's like in a dream that you can't, text doesn't quite read right. But there are things you can pull through. So you would say, well, in the future, I already know, Bill, at this time, you and I are going to meet in a room. And if the price has gone up, I'm going to hand you a bottle of champagne. If the price has gone down, I'm going to hand you a plate of pancakes. Now what you're asking people to do is instead of trying to pull through from the future where the stocks have gone up or down, on this date and time, what's happening in this room? And if now a person is describing the object that they're handing over, and, you know, statistically over this course of, you know, 100 people remote viewing multiple times, if you have, you know, like, you know, this high correlation of people describing one thing, then you go, that is almost certainly what it's going to be. Everybody's describing something like a wine bottle. It's so different than pancakes. Have we even got five people who wrote down, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, champagne and party, that kind of stuff then it becomes incredibly powerful. And that's what McMonagall and others do and have done in the world for making real money. And there's even a good argument that you can do it for lottery tickets on simple like four-digit draws. I've actually got the entire pool set up to do that with 100 targets for um, uh, all the series of numbers. It's I forget, it's so many different pools, but essentially being a number one 
is going to be could be one of 100 pictures of a person a tool an animal space vehicles right things that are so distinctively different that if you picked out one uniquely in there man maybe we could start you know stacking those numbers up to predict the future because then it's like i only got to do it four times right in a row but if, if you can i mean i'll take those odds and rolling dice you know, I've rolled six, you know, six sixes in a row. Yeah, right. It's not that, you know, not that out there. I want anyway, to know, though. Like, yeah, it, it's not like this is woo-woo. Like, it's being utilized. Yeah. So, uh, just some more definitions. Uh, ESP and telepathy are perceptions which cannot be explained by known sensory means. Uh, remote viewing, uh, the acquisition and description by mental means of information blocked from ordinary perception by distance, shield, or time. Now, this is interesting because they, they have shield here. And Derek is often talks about armoring ourselves and making this a, a daily uh, practice, uh, a daily uh, ritual that that we do when we get up in the morning and before we go out to, to face the world, we want to take, you know, a moment to, to, um, imagine ourselves inside of a, a Bucky ball essentially. So think of like a soccer ball shape sphere. And this is, uh, meant to protect us from, from not only nefarious energies, but just any energy that is outside of, what is it generated by yourself, right? So it's interesting well, that they have shield here in, in the CIA documents. Well, because even think of it as a pragmatic stance. If you're remote viewing, and, and I truly believe that you can connect through any distance in any time, the problem is how do you validate whether you're right or not, right? Because you might come up with something wildly predictive that's not real. So remote viewing aliens on the moon, well, if I can't go there and actually look to see what's there, it's really hard you know, to, to definitive, to, to definitively, um, go anywhere with it, which I literally just forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> Shielding. I was going to, I was going to make the, oh, yeah, yeah. No, what I was going to say is you have connection to information across all time, across all distance. Imagine a universe of infinite time, right? Now, what all the good, all the bad, every single possible thing that has ever happened, you have the ability to access, to view, to pull information, to pull data through. You know, it's, it's a true muse to bring in something else. And, you know, maybe that is not bringing everything and shielding against stuff that, you know, if you were to remote view the wrong thing, like, look, you go down some dark alleys on the internet and you're going to see some vi some images or videos that are going to stick in your mind forever. You know, maybe remote viewing could be the same that, you know, you, you yeah. may, you may connect to a dirty pipeline, you know? Well, I think that this would uh, more or less prevent that from happening. I don't think that uh, it, it, it would, this is more of like a, def like a defensive mm -hmm. spell, right? It's not uh, going to, necessarily uh you know introduce i don't know I, I don't know it's a weird concept um i've done a lot of work 
in trying to not use the word shield and go with armor instead because to me contextually shield is like one thing right it's something that you hold and you're just standing there you're not really doing anything you're bracing you're in anticipation of being hit right whereas armor kind of gives this connotation of you you're suited up and you're ready to go charge in and take care of business right you're not waiting around for something to happen think so. of yourself self as the uh, uss enterprise and your shields are just up yeah yeah, yeah. there you Tons go are ready there you go perfect uh, so the last definition they have is remote viewer, and that is a person who perceives, communicates with, or and or perturbs characteristics of a designated target, person, or event. And uh, lastly, before we move on, um, basic definition, remote viewing is accessing information without the use of the normal five senses, information from other people, logical deductions, direct connective implementation of electronic or other devices, uh, a talent which is inherent to every human to some degree, probably a vestigial form of self-preservation, largely ignored in today's societal setting. I found a typo in the CIA's <laughs> official document. Uh, today's is... is that means you're officially hired. It's part of my job day. My day job is editing stuff. So, and, uh, though through proper training, uh, can be developed to a person's individual potential. So, they uh, this is what they did uh, with the Monroe Institute. Actually, was develop like programs to put people. They 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 did this right to you know to put people through to see if they're you know any good at it right. So enough of the CIA documents. Well, I will say one thing that's interesting when they did that, Bill, and you see this when you do it, there is a beginner's luck. So not to jinx anybody out there or to uh, like pre-dose your mind, but it's so like so many things where the first time that you really try, you have good success. And then it's a lot harder afterwards. It's like when you get on a bicycle and you start riding it as a kid. And you're like, yay, I'm doing it. And then you realize your dad's not holding on to the back and then you fall over, right? It's the same type of, it's a very interesting thing, but I think of it even deeper as not necessarily just being that, that there is something deep about who we are in our being that wants us to engage this. Meaning that the first time that you try, it's like, there's something that's pulling you in. It's like stepping into the ocean when the tide is on its way out, right? And you can still do things. You can still swim. But as those waves are going back and forth, like, it's just easier to get pulled into it. So um, it's one reason I encourage so many people to try it and then not give up. Um, it's the old uh, don't look down because you'll be scared. You know, uh, it's like when you're in the middle of remote viewing and you realize you're really doing it, then, like, you fall off the bike right it's like when you're uh, trying to get into that lucid dreaming state and you realize yeah. you're dreaming and then you know you're no, no longer dreaming but you were so close to being yeah and it's a beautiful tool because it's like well what is meditation well meditation is just clearing your mind and getting yourself into a certain mindset through a specific use of words 
and it's very good for the soul. This, very good meditative for the soul, and then there's a a plug, a connection. There's like an operator that you're able to, you know, plug into and then just start streaming in information. And then the trick is receive the information and write it down, but don't interpret it. Because what if I'm pulling information, like if I'm like, let's say I wanted to remote view UFOs. Well, any information that I get pulled through, if I try to describe it in my own words, it's going to be overlaid with my own beliefs, my own references from this world, things that are completely not alien. Yeah, you you don't want to filter it. You don't want to filter it with your preconceived whatever. Right, your ex 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 exactly. That that flat metallic folded thing over there that I called an envelope was actually like this fuel card that gets slotted into an engine. You know, like it's the same type of thing. So. Ah oh, man, I'm fascinated by this. So there's a few other uh, YouTube links, which I'll include in the show notes, uh, with Skip Atwater, Joe McGonigal talking about the uh, Gateway Voyage in uh, the Monroe Institute's uh, program. And uh, here's one couple about Joe talking about uh, remote viewing in Japan and guidelines for future remote viewing. Uh, Joe's videos of Joe talking about that. Um, continuing on with the class, though, we're almost done here. Um, now, in the field, when Joseph McGonagall, McMonagall, not McGonagall, McMonagall, yeah, would go on missions, he would be surrounded by Delta Force and Special Activities Center, SAC officers, SAC officers. They would be armed and protect him as he would lead the way on missions. In real time, he would tell the teams where the hostages were being held, and in real time, he would project all the outcomes to not waste time and help the teams get in and out. The movie Next, with Nicolas Cage, pays homage to McMonagall's abilities. Instead of special forces, they use uh, FBI HRT officers. And there's a little clip here from, from the movie, and you can see... Um, Nicholas Cage here kind of uh, is in this warehouse and there's bad guys in the warehouse and he's got this team of good guys with him and they're trying to search to find the bad guys. And so the team says, uh, you know, we'll search this floor. And Nicholas Cage comes back and says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get the rest of the, the building. And it shows him splitting off like different, uh, different, uh, other other versions of his body his, his himself like his awareness is what they're trying to project here just kind of starts um, walking through all the tunnels and the, the catwalks and going up and down stairways kind of like every every direction every possibility and this helps them identify and find the bad guys right that's the idea behind behind the use of uh, this ability in operations right Information uh, is king in warfare. If so I know who you are and you don't know where I am, I have the ultimate advantage. Yeah, so this, uh, as Azel says, this ability is very real and used in the field, and a select few in the world are able to do it. Mostly uh, now work for the DIA, since they 
taken over the Stargate research. The ability to navigate several future timelines at once is also recently explored in Tenant, thus making it a gold wizardry film by Christopher Nolan. Uh, Tenant, I think this is out on Netflix. I'm not 100% sure, certain, um, but they mention uh, specifically uh, through Neil and the protagonist, as well as uh, Sato having the ability. And that's that scene at the class. He says, remember, uh, blue, he's talking about the factions again here, uh, blue, space, and water, gold is spirit and dimensions, green is surface and subsurface, and uh, suggests to watch uh, the movies Inception and Next uh, to understand the uh, gold factions, right? And anyone who wants extra credits, he recommends The uh, the Golden Man by Philip K. Dick, which is a interesting novel. I read this synopsis earlier. And that's, that's the class um, provided through Zazel. I'm going to switch my screen share here. And we're going to listen to... Uh, some raw shorts provided by the Sean Ryan podcast um, from the Sean Webb uh, episode. Uh, there's a few that I picked out beforehand. Um, this first one is uh, an account, a, an anecdote um, provided by Sean Webb about Joe helping find a, a missing kid in in uh, the mountains. I believe it was in Appalachia somewhere. Let me know if this comes through. He got a call one night when he was in Las Vegas from the local sheriff who was looking for a missing child. And the mom thought the child was with dad and the dad thought the child was with mom. And it's getting dark when they figured out the child is missing. And it's in Virginia wilderness and in the county in which um, Joe lived. He got a call in the middle of the night by the sheriff who's like, Let's get the psychic on the phone. Joe immediately picked up the phone, closed his eyes for like five seconds, and then basically told the sheriff, he goes, send your deputy out this road to this particular location, have him stop the car, get out of the car, get his compass out. And at 318 degrees on his compass, I want you to walk 1,209 steps. Stop, call the child's name out, and he will respond. He goes back to bed thinking, okay, hopefully they're going to find the kid. About five minutes later, 10 minutes later, he gets the, another call in his hotel room, and he's pissed because it's ringing the phone in the middle of the night again. So he gets up, grabs the phone. Hello? So that was part one. I gotta get part two queued up here. Hopefully, I won't blow your readers off. See, learning curve. This is a working. I should have uh, had these all pulled up in advance. Now, you downloaded them, Bill. And they are all downloaded. They're in the drive. Let's Joe, oh, here we, we go. Centered. All right. So clip two. So we sent our officer out there to the spot where he said, and he pulled out his compass, And he, but this officer just said he got back from training last week regarding missing children, and he said the statistics are that kids 10 and under will not walk up a hill when they're lost. But he's looking at his compass reading, and it goes directly up a, a steep hill. What do you want us to do? And his answer was immediately, he's like, do what I told you to do, click. Then another five, 10 minutes goes by, and he gets another call. 
And he picks up the phone a little softer this time because I think he had a feeling that they found him. He's like, did you find him? And she goes, yes, Joe, thank you very much. Good night. And so the officer, against his training, went up the hill, 1,209 steps, followed the directions, stopped where he was, called out the child's name, and the kid answered him. He was sleeping on the back porch sofa of a cabin that was deserted at the time, but it had a light on. And he was a five-year-old kid, and he said, my daddy said, if I ever got lost, walk to the closest light and stay there. And so he went up the hill. Wow. Wow. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. Excuse me. That's remote viewing. And there's a few other... Uh interesting clips here we can take a look at uh this is pretty much the last thing i have lined up for yeah, i don't mean to sound not excited this is just like this is my uh it's been a like, review for you i, I know yeah, yeah i'm excited for the listeners that don't know right um let's see uh what this is uh, this clip is what sparked the cia's interest i did not preview this one so this will be something new for all of us Russia's capability with remote viewing is what sparked Central Intelligence Agency. I said that already, but anyway. Just need to start looking into this. Yeah. How much money did they dump into this program? We don't know exactly. Joe personally told me over a lunch, millions. I don't know how many millions. It was very important for the United States to be able to investigate whether or not this had intelligence capabilities and what level of benefit that could be gleaned from investigating this type of because they started getting amazing viewings out of joe right away and it's like okay well how many amazing lebron james of consciousness are there to say you know this person can sit in a room and tell me what's going on at a location and potential future events because some of the remote viewers that the cia used were able to produce the effects of nuclear tests that had been secret until the remote viewer said this is going to happen, be able to figure out whether it was going to be a success or a failure because some of them were failures and all the intelligence turned out to be correct. So they were super interested. So yeah, keeping up with the Russians, right? And uh, to to kind of lead us into the sword segment, there are a few uh, clips here entitled How Humans Can Look Into Future can look into the future and um oh, everybody's had precognitive event of events before if you've ever been there and the phone rings and just the moment before you were thinking about that person and it's usually somebody you haven't spoken to in a long time what is that you knew something was going to happen before it happened and you had no way of knowing now you've got a specific set of tools to lay your mind out so that you can exploit that. Yeah, yeah. So this this is the everyone has remote viewing capabilities. This is the clip I was looking for. This is kind of uh, a nice. There's a few other ones I want to we can check out, but this is a nice uh, ni uh, emphasis on in going into the, the sword segment. I think. Oh, an error occurred. What is happening here? Try this again. Okay, it doesn't want to work. Uh, but yeah, like I said, everybody everybody can do this. Um, let's try let's try this clip. Then we'll we'll get to on, on to our our reading from Neville Goddard. Okay, it it's it's upset with me now. So, um, 
Yeah. Uh, big shout out to uh, Sean Ryan show. Thanks for the the raw shorts. Stop share. Uh, so yeah, that's our, our profile in Gold Wizardry featuring Joseph McMonagle. Um, just to, uh, I know when I first started the presentation, we touched on the the factions, right? Um, I'm thinking maybe for next episode, since we did a, a gold wizard, this time we can do a red wizard to to give a juxtaposition, juxta, juxta, uh, juxtaposition uh, between uh, what the, the flavors of the different factions, right? So uh, maybe next time we'll look into Jose Manuel Rodriguez Delgado. Uh, so there's a term uh, if you've been Delgadoed. There's some 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 uh, mind control happening there, right? So we'll explore that on next episode that we come out with, which again won't be for a couple of weeks. And continuing, moving on to the sword segment, continuing with our exploration of Neville Goddard's "The Power of Awareness." Published in 1952. Yep, 1952. Um, I just decided that uh, this is this is a good book uh, to go through chapter by chapter on the show, just because the chapters are relatively short, and it talks about awareness, which is something that we try to hit on, especially with the almanac segments, and in looking at our. Um, our past episodes involving the four agreements with, uh, not with, but by Don Miguel Ruiz. The mastery of awareness is one of the three masteries that the Toltec wisdom tradition emphasizes. The other two being the mastery of transformation and the mastery of intent or love, which we also try to um, emphasize here on the show. So in the spirit of, of transformation, we're going to hear from Mr. Neville Goddard in his book, Power of Awareness, Chapter 3, called The Power of Assumption. Got a new studio set up, so just give me a moment while I get situated here. It's easier to read while sitting on the yoga ball than trying to hold up this giant book. Bear with me a second here. Starts out. Man's chief delusion is his conviction that there are two, oh, I'm sorry, man's chief delusion in his conviction that there are causes other than his own state of consciousness. All that befalls a man, all that is done by him, all that comes from him, happens as a result of his state of consciousness. A man's consciousness is all that he thinks and he desires and loves. All that he believes is true and consents to. That is why a change of consciousness is necessary before you can change your outer world. Rain falls as a result of a change in the temperature of, in the higher regions of the atmosphere. So, in like manner, a change in circumstance happens as a result of a change in your state of consciousness. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12 verses 2 verse 2 
to be transformed, the whole basis of your thoughts must change. But your thoughts cannot change unless you have new ideas, or you think from your ideas. All transformation begins with an intense burning desire to be transformed. The first step in the renewing of the mind is desire. You must want to be different and intend to be before you can begin to change yourself. Then you must make your future dream a present fact. You do this by assuming the feeling of your wish fulfilled, by desiring to be other than what you are you can create an ideal of the person you want to be and assume that you are already that person if this assumption is persisted in until it becomes your dominant feeling the attainment of your ideal ideal is inevitable the ideal you hope to achieve is always ready for an incarnation but unless you yourself offer its human parentage, it is incapable of birth. Therefore, your attitude should be one in which, having desired to express a high state, you alone accept the task of incarnating this new and greater value of yourself. In giving birth to your ideal, you must bear in mind that the methods of mental and spiritual knowledge are entirely different. This is a point that is truly understood by probably not more than one person in a million. You know a thing mentally by looking at it from the outside, by comparing it with other things, by analyzing it and defining it, by thinking of it. Whereas you can know a thing spiritually only by becoming it, only by thinking from it. You must be the thing itself and not merely talk about it or look at it. You must be like the moth in search of his idol, the flame, who, spurred with true desire, plunging at once into the sacred fire, folded his wings within until he became one color and one substance with the flame. He only knew the flame who, in it burned, and only he could tell who never to tell returned. And it's from Bird Parliament by Farid Undin Attar, translated by Edward Fitzgerald. Just as the moth, in his desire to know the flame, was willing to destroy himself, you must, so, you, so must you, in becoming a new person, be willing to die to your present self. You must be conscious of being healthy if you are to know what health is. You must be conscious of being secure if you are to know what security is. Therefore, to incarnate a new and greater value of yourself, you must assume that you already are what you want to be, and then live by faith in this assumption, which is not yet incarnate in the body of your life, in confidence that this new value or state of consciousness will become incarnated through your absolute fidelity to the assumption that you are that which you desire to be. 
That was a long sentence. This is what wholeness means, what integrity means. They mean submission of the whole self to the feeling of the wish fulfilled in certainty that the new state of consciousness is the renewing of mind which transforms. There is no order in nature corresponding to this willing submission of the self to the ideal beyond the self. Therefore, it is the height of folly to expect the incarnation of a new and greater concept of self to come about by natural evolutionary processes. That which requires a state of consciousness to produce its effect obviously, to produce its effect obviously cannot be affected without such a state of consciousness. And in your ability to assume the feeling of a greater life, to assume a new concept of, it, of yourself, you possess what the rest of nature does not possess imagination, the instrument by which you create your world. Your imagination is the instrument, the means whereby your redemption from slavery, sickness, and poverty is effected. If you refuse to answer the responsibility, oh, I'm sorry, if you refuse to assume the responsibility of the incarnation of a new and higher concept of yourself, then, then you reject the mean, the only mean, whereby your redemption, that is the attainment of your ideal, can be affected. Imagination is the only redemptive power in the universe. However, your nature is such that it is optional to you whether you remain in your present concept of yourself or choose to become the instrument of your own redemption, imagining yourself as that which you want to be and thereby satisfying your hunger in redeeming yourself. He ends with a uh, poem stanza here, doesn't give a source. Oh, be strong then, and brave, pure, patient, and true. The work that is yours, let no other hand do. For the strength, or all need, is faithfully given. From the fountain within you, the kingdom of heaven. And... Thank you, Neville. The uh, next chapter is on desire, so we will hit on that next episode. That brings us to the sign-off. Um, once again, I neglected to see what the scalar energy session is this week. But that's okay, because it gives me a moment to tell you to remind you guys to do it um, this is a free service that mystical wares offers or that derek offers through mysticalwares.com so if you just want to go to the website uh, there's a scalar energy link in the uh, the right hand navigation towards the bottom you just want to click that and this is in the show notes as well and it takes you to a page that uh, tells you exactly what scalar energy is instead of me explaining it to you here in the short bit of time that we have left. Um, you can go and do some reading there. And then uh, at the bottom of the page, there is a sign up here link. And this week's free scalar energy session is for enhancing memory. 
and these frequencies are based off of uh, Royal Raymond Ripe's work. So definitely um, go to the page and uh, do some reading there about about that. Um, the I believe the uh, subject for each week's uh, session is uh, based off of group feedback. So uh, definitely uh, sign up. It's free. You got nothing to lose. Uh, you get a text reminder of when it starts, and then uh, you don't have to do anything. You just sit back and uh, let it happen, right? So I'm signing up now so I can get my text reminder. And uh, any final thoughts, Adam? Uh, did you want to plug Cat in the Box by chance? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you're looking for a target, check out Cat in the Box dot space or just type uh, Cat in the Box into any of your podcast 2.0 uh, compatible podcast players, which should be most of them out there. Um, or just go, you know, catinthebox.space and you'll find me. Um, and each episode has its own target. So you can uh, just pick an episode and remote view. I got a little, uh, few, uh, few little pointers on how to get started there on my website. Uh, just quick little rundown, but it's literally as simple as uh, getting a clear space where you're not distracted. Uh, so, you know, trying to clear out any dog barking, you know, kids playing, things like that, complete focus and, uh, you know, take 15 minutes to focus on the targets. I mean, hell, Bill, if you had a uh, a little bit of time tonight, we could even try it, too, if you were a uh, game. Um, maybe, maybe later this week, tonight. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk after, we'll talk after the show. Um, but uh, yeah, let but... me know, because. Literally, what we'll do is we'll take 20 minutes and um, I can create a target for you. We're definitely going to, whoops, close the book. We're definitely going to do this at some point. <laughs> and uh, yeah, definitely check out Cat in the Box if you haven't already. Also, uh, we don't really need to, to ask for monetary support for this podcast, which is great because Derek takes care of all that, which is why we have sponsored and it's something that i am super grateful for so uh, i don't have to ask for your money at the end of these at the end of these shows but if you are finding value out of the content please uh, just share it with somebody that you think also might find the value uh, out of absolutely content. it doesn't seem like a lot of work goes into it but there is a lot of work on the production the equipment the hosting uh all that stuff costs money you know we're very uh, grateful uh, that Derek uh, supports us, but just the time that Bill puts into the articles, um, it's a labor of love that he wants to share. And if you love his labor, then please share. Yeah, share the show. Um, a lot of the podcasts I listen to have been recommended to me by other people. It's not just something I've just came across my newsfeed, right? So I very still, I very much believe in word of mouth still. So please help, help spread the love. However, you can uh, rate the show on whatever platform that you are using. Write us an email. Uh, my email address is chrononotbill at mail.com. Uh, write the shows, tell us what you think. And until next time, chrononauts, carpe diem.